Welcome to Maris and Miller's new flagship, Let's Talk Pensions podcast, featuring conversations with experts on pension planning and management. We discuss the state of pensions, why the environment is changing, and the crucial thinking around generational equality. We also discuss topics such as leadership, the will to manage, and taking a business-minded approach to pensions. Let's Talk Pensions podcast is a Maris and Miller open pension initiative. And now, on to our guest. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode seven of the Let's Talk Pensions podcast. Today on the show, we're joined by Jean-Pierre Laporte, CEO of Integris Pension Management Corp. Jean-Pierre, or JP, founded Integris Pension Management with the intent of providing better solutions for investors looking to minimize taxes while protecting their assets. He worked over the past decade as a pension lawyer for a number of prestigious firms in Toronto, such as Osler, Hoskin & Harcourt, LLP, Bennett Jones, LLP, and Faskin Martineau, LLP. He has dedicated himself to improving pension legislation and is often called as an expert witness on pension matters before the House of Commons Standing Committee on Finance. He has written a number of seminal articles on pension reform, most notably on expanding the Canada Pension Plan. He was educated at the University of Toronto Osgoode Hall Law School and the Institut d'Etudes Politiques de Paris. In recognition of his various contributions to the development of new forms of retirement savings plans, Jean-Pierre was awarded the Queen Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee Medal in October 2012. Hi, JP. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. So to start off, I'd like if you would share with our listeners how and why you entered into the pension industry and your journey to founding Integris. Sure. So I've been a pension lawyer for a number of years uh, in Toronto in large private sector firms. And I quickly realized that while my clients were benefiting from gold-plated pension plans, the people in the private sector, especially the small and medium enterprise um, private sector, unfortunately did not have the same quality of pension solutions available to them. So I started thinking about, well, what could we do in order to democratize and make it easier for people that uh, are working very hard in the private sector to have the same quality of pension as those that are either uh, civil servants or teachers or working for large unions. And the idea uh, came to offer um, a pension solution that uh, utilizes what's best under the Income Tax Act to combine Uh, all that's great about classical or traditional defined benefit plans with defined contribution plans and give people the flexibility to pick the different types of rules that would make it better for them to save for their retirement. So that was the idea, was more to level the playing field uh, between the public sector where I was working uh, and the private sector, which unfortunately 
has very little by way of pension coverage. Thank you for sharing. So who is it specifically then that you really want to help in the industry? So what I'm looking at is the, the about about 1.2 or 3 million Canadians that are either business owners, professionals who have the legal right to incorporate through a professional corporation. So you're looking here at your doctors, dentists, lawyers, accountants, and so forth. Small business owners like franchisees, people that um, you know may have a a coffee shop, a restaurant under a franchise, and also the what we would call the C-suite executives of much larger companies. So here we're talking about your chief executive officer, chief financial officer, chief legal officer, and so forth, chief operating officer of large companies where these individuals are key to the organization and are typically compensated with a significant salary and a large taxable bonus and usually stock options on top of that. So those are the key categories of uh, Canadians that um, are perfect for um, the personal pension plan that uh, our company offers. It sounds like there's a really big gap in the market there that you really help um, to cover. Um, I was wondering, why define benefit plans and why do they make more sense than, you know, a business owner just basically maxing out their allotment for RRSPs? What about the defined benefit makes more sense? Well, the, regu the regulatory regime that governs defined benefit plans is much more comprehensive and much more generous than what is permitted under the RRSP rules. It's really two different worlds. The pension legislation goes back all the way to the very first Income Tax Act back in 1917 in the First World War, whereas the RSP legislation was only implemented uh, in 1957. And over the decades, the pension legislation allows for a significant number of additional tax deductions that don't exist for people who use an RRSP. So at the end of the day, when we're in concrete terms, what I'm trying to say is that while an RRSP may, let's say, allow you to, over a lifetime, tax shelter $500,000, just to use a round number, the same person using the pension legislation might be able to shelter one to one million, 1.5 million, sorry, one to $1.5 million uh, of dollars for their retirement. It's a significant upgrade in terms of monies working inside of a tax sheltered account growing every year and much larger tax deductions claimed along the way. So it's, uh, it's a bit of an anomaly that uh, while both allow you to save for retirement, one is significantly more generous to the person who uses those rules over the other. And we felt that if the law allows for it, well, then business owners should take advantage of the law and uh, save uh, significantly more money towards their retirement than under the RSP rules. What about larger companies with employees? Do you provide services to them as well? Or is it more for the smaller businesses and the 
um, I guess, solo um, incorporated business right. people. Yes. So no, we, we do offer uh, the personal pension plan to uh, C-suite executives of large companies. And, um, but the way that it's offered, it's in combination with another tax assisted retirement plan, uh, the RCA or the retirement compensation arrangement. So, and there's technical, there are technical reasons why we do it this way, mainly to protect the company and not to get too, too, too much into the weeds, but the way that these personal pension plans are funded have to rely on um, federal rules, uh, mainly the maximum funding valuation rules. And those put a cap on how much money a company can contribute to fund the pension. In fact, what happens in practice is that because of this cap, we're dragging a shadow deficit, meaning that we're not fully funding the true costs of providing this pension, such that once, once the employee decides to retire or, or is terminated or dies, and provincial pension legislation uh, using a different methodology forces us to put more money into the plan, uh, we end up with a deficit and a shortfall. And so it's because under provincial rules, typically we use a solvency uh, basis or methodology to determine how much money to put into the plan to make sure that it's fully funded. The solvency rules require more money than the maximum funding rules that are federal. And so if you can just imagine we, we have a gap, we have a stub or uh, an amount of money that we should be putting in if we wanted to comply with provincial rules, but that we're not putting in because of the federal rules. And because of the doctrine of paramountcy under a constitutional law, we are forced to go with the federal funding rules. So at the end of the day, the client who signed up his client or her client for uh, PPP is left with a deficit and hasn't put money aside. So now it has to dip into its operating budget to find that extra money because it hasn't had a chance to pre-fund it little by little over the years. So in order to avoid that, what we do is we accompany the PPP with this retirement compensation arrangement, the supplemental plan, and we fund it because we're allowed to claim a tax deduction when we put money in this secondary plan. And when we do need the money, when this shadow deficit becomes a real deficit and the provincial rules are triggered, then we just dip into the RCA and put it into the pension plan, thereby satisfying our obligation under the solvency rules and uh, the client is good to go. So it's a, it's a way of protecting uh, the company from a, a surprise uh, down the road once uh, the, the plan member either dies or retires or uh, is terminated. So for an individual that might not know all the ins and outs um, that you were just describing, how do you go about helping um, individuals or companies plan their pensions? And how do you also provide fiduciary oversight yeah, so this is something that's uh, kind of unique in the Canadian uh, financial industry with respect to these 
miniature pension plans that typically only have one or two or a few clients in it. Uh, our company, by law, acts as a fiduciary, um, so we have a legal obligation. <coughs> we have a, we <clears throat> we have a legal obligation to act in the best interest uh, of our clients under the fiduciary standard of care. And what that translates into is that we provide uh, all kinds of optimization advice as to how to best utilize the different pension laws to increase the size of the pension available in retirement, to increase tax deductions along the way, and um, to, make to take advantage of all the different rules that are um, available under pensions and tax laws that can really help build a much bigger pension. So we provide that um, advice not only to our clients, to whom we act as fiduciaries, but we also work in concert with financial advisors who typically bring us the business, uh, who they're the ones that have the client relationship with the ultimate users, and uh, they need to get our expertise in order to better serve their clients. So it's a real partnership uh, that is established between the financial advisory community out there that's good at you know, picking stocks, diversifying, uh, rebalancing, doing tactical moves. That's their skill set. We respect that. It brings money, it creates value, creates uh, wealth for the client. But our value is to say, how can we do this in a way that uh, minimizes the tax drag uh, that's caused by ongoing taxation? So we help, therefore, the clients with their planning. We do projections. We ask for a little bit of data. And then our software will show them all of the different tax advantages and deductions that the pension, legis the pension legislation opens up for them that they were not able to do if they uh, insisted on remaining in an RSP. And we explain all the different mechanisms. And then at the end of the day, the client realizes that, you know, if they continue down the path of the RSP, they might end up at X dollars in retirement. But if they upgrade to a PPP, because of all this more generous tax treatment, they may end up at X plus a million or a million and a half, or depending on the facts. And it's through that conversation that we provide a bit of education on pensions to our clients and their advisors. Where do you see the greatest need or gap in the pension industry? Is it in the services you provide or do you think there's something else? Well, that's a, that's a more of a philosophical question. Um, I think that most Canadians, because of financial literacy, literacy problems, uh, do not appreciate how powerful and how good pensions are as a concept. Part of it is because the prevalence of pensions has gone down in the private sector over the last 50 years. It's been virtually in freefall. So whereas in the 1950s and 60s, it was quite common when you work somewhere that there would be a pension plan in place. Now it's being replaced either by defined contribution plans or group RSPs or sometimes nothing at all. 
So the concept of a pension is becoming for many, especially younger folks, uh, a distant memory or a foreign concept. And as a result, and on, especially when you combine that with the fact that schools don't talk about it, there's very little by way of financial education, Canadians are really left to their own devices and um, they don't appreciate how amazing a pension is, how powerful and um, you know, how useful it is as a financial instrument. So that, that to me is what explains the, the problem. It's, uh, it's a sad statement because it's one of the smartest things you can do. If you have a plan and you set aside part of your consumption money aside for the future, and it grows, not exponentially, but it grows over time, and then you can rely on that accumulated wealth when you can no longer earn any money, um, that's a real protection for people. And we see what happened with the current crisis. People that are getting their pension, doesn't matter if the company that they used to work for is now closed and doesn't pay any salaries, they're still getting their pension check and they can still pay their hydro and buy their groceries. So, you know, it's when real catastrophes hit that things like pensions are really brought into relief and you can see the incredible power uh, of those instruments. Hmm. So given the uncertain and unprecedented times we're in with the COVID-19 situation at the time that we're recording this, what advice would you give to the people that, you know, maybe are a little bit farther along in their careers, but they don't have a pension plan from work and, you know, they're fearful because they don't want to be maybe spending money at this time because of the uncertainty. What would you say to them um, in terms of starting a pension plan? Yeah. So great question, by the way, Brianna, the, the pension plan, especially the personal pension plan, think of it as a, uh, a bundle of legal rights that protect the client at the center. It has these successive protective walls around it. And those walls are the following. Uh, first of all, because it's a pension plan, the pension legislation protects the assets inside of the pension plan from creditors. So think of all the people who are now worried about their creditors because they haven't been able to pay their bills. And now those creditors have a legal right to go after them. Well, whatever they were able to put in their pension plan is now off limits to the creditors. Uh, bankruptcy. So the Bankruptcy and Insolvency Act uh, has a provision that says the annual contributions that are required by the pension plan get a super priority in bankruptcy and that means that it ranks above the other claims of other creditors, like secured creditors. So that means that when there's a finite amount of money, the pension plan dips its hands into the pool first to grab its piece. And then the, the rest of the creditors can fight over what's left behind. So in a way, we're protecting ourselves first before uh, giving any of the residual uh, cash to other third parties. The third wall of protection is what we call special payments. So here is something that's unique to defined benefit pensions, and it's the ability if the stock market gets corrected, like it did on March 23rd, to 
file a special valuation, a special actuarial valuation, and crystallize the losses that have occurred due to the decline in the value of the assets of the pension plan. And so when that happens, there is a legal requirement now for the company that's sponsoring this pension plan, which is your own company, your own money, to, that can now be contributed to the pension plan. But those special payments are tax deductible to the business. So in effect, what we can do is create new registered room, new tax savings room by recognizing deficits when the market is corrected. If you have an RRSP and you've maxed out, you've put in your maximum contribution year after year, and the same thing happens, you lose 35% or 30% of your portfolio in one day, like people did on March 23rd, there's nothing you can do. You cannot put more money in your RRSP to try to claw your way back out of the hole. But with a pension plan, at the PPP, you can. So that's a massive um, difference in treatment. And then as a bonus, the company is taking um, pre-tax dollars that hasn't been taxed. And instead of taxing it, it's contributing it to the PPP under this special payment mechanism. That means you can go bargain hunting because the stocks are only worth a fraction of what they used to cost. And now you've got cash to go and buy them in the market. So when the markets eventually recover, and we know that they, they eventually do, well, you're going to profit from the increase in the value of those cheap securities that you bought at a bargain using tax-assisted dollars. So it's just one series of positive consequences after another. And you're probably thinking, well, JP, um, what if my company doesn't have the cash to take advantage of this market dip? What do you say to that? And I would say, well, normally what happens is most companies typically will keep very little cash inside of the operating company, but the one that would be sponsoring the pension plan, but they have a holding company or they may have a family trust. So they would have some other bucket where they keep their nest egg for their retirement, where assets are invested passively as a quasi pension plan for these business owners and their families. So what can be done is that these, let's call them holding companies, can lend money to the operating company in order for the operating company to contribute it to the pension plan, thereby creating a tax deduction within the operating company. So that's a nice little advantage. The money is now sitting in the pension plan so we can go bargain hunting. Uh, and the interest that is owed to the company that lent the money, that interest, those interest payments are also tax deductible to the operating company. So there's a third tax deduction that arises uh, once we do it this way. And it makes sense for passive assets sitting in a holding company to be transferred into a tax exempt or tax deferred pension plan. Because unfortunately, if we don't do it that way, if we keep the money invested in the holding company all along, the problem is this, we're gonna have two problems. The first one is the corporation, because it's not, this is not considered active business income, it's taxed at a punitive rate. So we're, we're giving the money to the tax authorities anyway. Uh, and then to make matters worse, 
the passive income that's coming out of this holding company will also have an impact on the taxation of the operating company because the two are considered associated companies under the, the new tax measures, namely the tax on passive investments that the federal government introduced uh, back, uh, I guess, two years ago now. So you end up uh, with a tax problem uh, when you have too much passive assets growing inside of a holding company. So we're saying, why suffer high taxation and this extra problem when you can grab that money, lend it to the operating company, it ends up inside of the pension plan, and now it's no longer a problem for anyone. So it's almost like uh, killing two birds with one stone. Thank you so much for that informative answer. I think those are really good things to know, especially for people that don't understand this world. Um, we are coming. Oh, sorry, I forgot one last thing because you're talking about COVID. Yes, yes, please and, share. And of course, for some people, COVID is not just an inconvenience. For some people, it leads to death. So then how can the PPP help when death occurs? And this may be the, the advantage that pensions have over RSPs that's the largest, the most significant. So let me set the stage a little bit here. Imagine that we have a family business. Mom and dad are working in the family business and their daughter is also on the payroll. Now, the daughter's not paid as much, obviously, because she's more junior and her role is not as important as the parents who started the business, but doesn't matter. She's on the payroll. So now we decide to set up a, a family PPP where mom, dad, and the daughter will all be participating in the plan. So along we go. Contributions are made on an annual basis. Everything's great. And then mom and dad decide to retire pass the baton over to the daughter, which is fine. So that happens. And mom and dad start collecting their monthly pension benefit directly from the pension plan. But then mom and dad catch COVID-19 and both pass away. Now, if we hadn't set up a PPP and instead mom and dad had signed up for RRSPs, we have what's called under the Income Tax Act, a deemed disposition which means that the value of the RSP is deemed to have been disposed at fair market value the day before they die. And the estate now has to pay the tax. So if there's $2 million in the RSP, well, that means that probably over half a million dollars will go to the tax authority. And the daughter will, assuming she's the beneficiary, will end up with the other million dollars. So the the wealth of the family has been cut in half because of COVID-19 in this particular example. That's with an RRSP. But we're not talking about RSP. We're talking about PPPs. Remember, mom, dad, and the daughter are all members of the same PPP. When mom and dad pass away while receiving their pension, instead of having a deemed disposition, all of the money, the $2 million, if we're going to use that example, instead of being taxed away, is considered to be pension surplus. It's no longer required to pay a pension because there's no one to pay the pension to. Both mom and dad are dead. So if it's surplus, it means it's trapped inside of the PPP. Well, the daughter is also a plan member. So by operation of law, that surplus is now available to her should she wish to use it 
to fund her, her own pension over time. So we just saved the daughter a million dollars in taxes. Well, you tell me which of the two solutions makes the most sense for the daughter. <laughs> I, know, I know which one I would pick for my, for my daughter. <laughs> yes, it's definitely a huge difference. <laughs> it's almost a no-brainer, really. Well, yeah, I would say so. So anyway, that's, that's just to give you a sense of how, even in these trying times, knowledge of pension legislation can really protect business owners who otherwise have no clue that they can avail themselves of this tax treatment and pension rules to protect themselves. Well, thank you so much, JP, for sharing all of that. Um, I know you have a great tool on your website. I was wondering if you could share that with our listeners and also if you could tell us how people can get in contact with you or um, find the Integris website, what's the best way to get in touch? Well, I think your podcast does list our website and the link to the calculator. So that's probably uh, one of the best ways. And I, I will also grant, give you our 1-800 toll-free number if people want to call in across the country. And there's also an email address, the question at integris-mgt.com that uh, people can click on and fire off any questions they may have. Okay, perfect. We'll make sure to put all of that in the show notes. Um, thank you so much again for your time today. We really appreciate you being on the show. My pleasure, Brianne. Take care. You too. You've been listening to the Let's Talk Pensions podcast, a Marison Miller Open Pension Initiative. To learn more about our firm and to listen to more episodes, please visit our website at www.marismiller.com.